Hello and welcome to SustainaPod, the youth-led podcast for the youth and anyone who's passionate about sustainability here in Asia. My name is Paco, I'm the head of logistics here at SustainaPod, and I'm the host of this engineering series. Today, we have Hansen Cheng. Good morning, Hansen. Good morning. So Hansen's from the James Dyson Award national winner and Forbes 30 on 30 in manufacturing and industry team, the Tire Collective. Now, we're going to be here all day if we're going to name all of your awards, but um, let's just start with um, a little bit of background on what tire dust is. Tire dust is the second largest microplastic pollution in the world. It enters our waterways, food, the air we breathe, but yet still a relatively unknown problem. The Tire Collective is building the next catalytic converter to challenge existing standards of zero emission mobility. So Hansen, why did you guys choose tire wear? It's a problem that's not really known. So why did you guys go in that direction? Yeah, so we were looking at microplastics at large. And you know, you learn you read a lot about microfibers from laundry, single-use plastics. But in our research, tire wear came up again and again. And it was something that, you know, is so kind of obvious, but no one really thinks about it. You know, if you ever owned a car or watched an F1 race, you know that tires wear down, but just never made that connection to where do all these particles go when they're going to environment into our environment. We, we started the project as part of our second year master's project as kind of an environment focused and impact driven team. We really saw this as an opportunity to really build a solution around this topic and really raise the awareness on this topic as well. And that is one reason why we chose tire wear. Yeah, not a lot of people actually know about tire wear still, but how does the device work? I read in one of your interviews that the tire wear is actually positively charged. And so does that help the mechanism when you're collecting the tire wear or what mechanisms go into the device? Yeah, so as you said, tire wear is charged from friction with the road. So we're able to use electrostatics to attract them and effectively capture them. Um, yeah, we also take advantage of the airflow behind the tire to really pull the particles through the device and a series of electrostatic plates attract them and pull them out of the air. Yeah, and that's it's it's fascinating because you guys started with just a project and then it's built to something like this. And over the last few months, it seems like the Tire Collective has been receiving a lot more exposure from The Guardian to CNN to BBC. How does it feel like to know that your project is finally getting, well, let's say justice and it's finally getting spoken out on? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's been a super rewarding experience. You know, when we started the project, we didn't know, you know, where it would go. All the features, um, all the awards, I think to a degree validated our initial instinct that this is a problem that needs to be addressed and that, you know, it's kind of, it's been great that we're one of the main people to be addressing it. And I think part of that is that we're not just talking about the problem, but also presenting a solution. And I think that's important. Yeah. I think that's important as well, because a lot of people are like activists or so they call themselves. And I mean, activists are cool and all, but if you're not presenting a solution, people can't really act on it. And so that's why I really like what you guys are doing with an action to a problem that's actually significant in our world. We're going to get back to that significant part later on, but could you give a small introduction to what the Terracrata Design Lab is? 
Yeah, so the Terracarta Design Lab is an initiative by Sister Johnny Ive and also HRH Parents of Wales through the Sustainable Markets Initiative. And it's, you know, every year they select four to five uh, startups or projects to kind of fund and take forward. Um, and it's an opportunity to kind of develop something with nature, uh, around nature, with sustainability in mind, and really kind of pushing the agenda of sustainable design in the world. And obviously, I ask that because you guys are one of the one of the four or five this year or last year. I uh, know we're one of the four winners this year. Yeah. Yeah, one of the four winners this year, and, and and that's amazing. How does it feel like to be in that room when you're with so many other award winners? What was that feeling like? Um, it was definitely kind of a surreal experience. I think you know a lot of these projects are much developed than us. Um, you know, having a startup longer, so it's great to kind of see us on the kind of same caliber as them, uh, even in this early stage. That was one of the things I read about on your LinkedIn. And it's really surreal that you guys were like a two-year or three-year startup right now and still being able to be on that caliber with those other projects. The reason I mentioned this whole terracotta design lab thing in the middle of this podcast is because I went on your Instagram and I saw you guys were presenting to the Prince of Wales, which is, which is quite an quite a accomplishment, to say the least. What were your feelings then? And that's someone of huge importance to recognize your project. Yeah, I mean, I was very nervous, I guess, at the start. <laughs> um, but it was it was really great to meet him. And, you know, once you get, uh, once you meet him and start talking to him, um, you know, he was very knowledgeable about the project, asked very kind of direct questions and really was really interested in our project. And, and, and you know, he's such an icon and kind of, you know, action taker on sustainability and it's great that he kind of acknowledges our project and really wants to help us push that forward um i'm assuming that a lot of the moments that the tyrant collective has gone through are surreal one of the other surreal moments is probably when according to a cnn article you guys are conducting a three-month trial on the catalytic converter with zero so what is that partnership like Yes. Yeah, so this is kind of part of our launch trajectory, let's say. It's definitely a milestone for us to test our device on vans, on logistic vans driving around London. So Zero, they are a local logistic company here in London. They're part of the Zero Mission Network from the mayor of London. When we first met them, we found a lot of kind of synergies. You know, they're about Zero Mission Transport. They have a full electric fleet. They have these cargo bikes that deliver deliver stuff around London. Um, so, you know, I think it, it was great to kind of, you know, kickstart that partnership. I think it, it in timeline wise is also aligned, you know, we were developing a device and had the next prototype ready around summertime to test. They were on board to testing it. So right now the, the tests are running at the moment. Yeah. And uh, I can only imagine how that feels when something you guys have been working for two or three years has been actually put into implementing and, uh, I guess you guys are really excited for how these tests go. Yeah, definitely. It was it was definitely a kind of a moment of relief when you see the device on the car and it's working. Now we just hopefully it works for the next two months, let's say. But it's it's definitely been a lot of up and ups and downs. But I'm glad that we're here now, and it's definitely a huge milestone for us as a company. 
Absolutely. I just want to transition to some questions about you personally. You were a bachelor's in architecture at Rhode Island School of Design, a master of science at Imperial, and a master of art at the Royal College of Art. Where yeah. did your passion for STEM come from? Was that from a young age or did that come at UD level? Yeah, so I stand behind like, you know, so there's STEM and then there's STEAM, right, with art in, involved. I think at an early age, I was always interested in art, design, and then throughout my studies, I think sustainability slowly kind of crept in there. So I was always interested in kind of how I can apply sustainable design across architecture initially, uh, in architecture and urban design, and then now in kind of products and systems design. I think that that passion kind of I think stems from um, you know experiences growing up, kind of seeing pollution firsthand, and also the strive to kind of wanting whatever I create to really create make an impact on on the world. Yeah. Do you remember where your passion for sustainability came from? Because I didn't actually hear of sustainability until three years ago. Um, so where did your passion for sustainability come from? Because did it come from awareness from news or? So when I was in high school, Northfield, Massachusetts, at a school called Northfield Mount Hermon, there was one class and that was in my final year of studies. There was one class on sustainability and it was an elective. Uh, I decided to kind of choose it because I loved the teacher who was teaching it. Um, and, you know, we watched Al Gore's, you know, Inconvenient Truth, uh, and then uh, did a lot of research that a lot of us haven't really read about before because sustainability then wasn't such a big topic. And I think some of the stuff that you read and, and you watch is just kind of a bit daunting. There's definitely a lack of awareness around that back then. Um, and I think that I saw that as kind of an opportunity as well. And I think my parents also pushed me towards the sustainability space uh, in many ways, because they're always kind of conscious around about this. And they really saw, you know, sustainability and, and um, the environment as a huge part of the future. And, you know, they kind of pushed me towards pursuing that as well. Yeah, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the catch word has changed from environmentally friendly towards sustainability. And I think that's kind of because more people realize that we can't actually continue going on in the future without sustainability and using materials more effectively. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think there's also a lot of loose definitions of sustainability as well. Um, I think you know, during my studies, I think the best definition I found so far is, you know, and this is from a course when I was at RISD, is, you know, sustainability is really designing for the benefit of all living things. And it's not just humans, you know, it's, it's animals, it's the marine environment, it's, you know, land environment. So I think just thinking about sustainability as a larger whole, I think is, is definitely how I see sustainability. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about your first job. So your first job was an architectural designer working with urban design. Your reason for leaving that job, though, was because you said that there were more ways to pursue sustainability than just from the urban perspective. And that kind of resonates with me because I, I'm still undecided of if I want to work in industry when I'm older or if I want to go like you guys and start a small startup. So 
other than working in the urban perspective, what were some other reasons that you decided the Tire Collective was the way to go? Yeah, so I think it's not really about the urban perspective. For me, it's kind of the scale of work that I wanted to be doing. Working in architecture, obviously, it's, it's huge commercial projects, huge urban design projects. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to apply, you know, green infrastructure and kind of more sustainable thinking. But that timeline was very long for me, at least. And I thought I wanted to explore how it could apply the same thinking into smaller scale objects. So, you know, designing smaller products, designing kind of better systems on an infrastructure scale, kind of tackling those same ideas, but on a product and systems perspective, that is kind of why I guess I left architecture and decided to pursue this degree in innovation design engineering, and then now finding the startup. Absolutely. And innovation and entrepreneurship is definitely not one of the easiest roads to go down. I'm sure that building uh, award-winning concept wasn't really the career that you were envisioning to begin with. So how has entrepreneurship brought challenges for you? And has it made things really hard sometimes? Can you share some of those experiences? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an unconventional route per se, but I think it's also a more exciting route. It's been kind of lots of ups and downs, but I think, you know, one of the main reasons and one of the main kind of takeaways we wanted to get from starting our startup is to really like kind of learn really fast. You know, I think when we're working in in corporate jobs, me and my co-founders, we all felt we were kind of a bit stuck in the same role, you know, by, by running a startup, you learn a lot very fast and you learn a lot from a lot of people and I think the most encouraging thing is how much how how many people are willing to help you on your journey and to help you learn more and bring on their expertise. I guess running your own company, you also kind of decide how you want to run it. So, you know, some of the things that we disliked in our prior jobs or didn't find as effective in our prior jobs, we now have the opportunity to change that and test out what may work better, what we think may work better. But I think entrepreneurship in itself is 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 a journey and it's the huge risk sometimes it pays off sometimes it doesn't but i think even when it doesn't and when your startups do fail right let's say a lot of startups do fail we might fail as well um is you take those experiences and you apply it for your next journey i mean i don't know a lot of people who go from startups back to corporate jobs but i'm sure there are some but i think it, it's definitely this very steep learning curve And once you get over that, um, I think it's very rewarding. That steep learning curve that you were talking about, I'm sure there's a lot of stress that comes with that. I feel like if I was going to go into industry or something like that, I would get a stable pay. But with you guys, with like a startup, it's like maybe budget off grants and all that. Sometimes you have to do sacrifices, work overtime because there's no steady hours, just going to different places. I mean, that's kind of the joy of it as well, but. Was there a lot of sacrificing that you guys had to do? Not really. I mean, I think we, I think it's how you set up what your priorities are in the very beginning. So before we even, you know, made a company, we had a kind of two day chat, let's say with the co-founders, what are your priorities and what are your must haves to 
you know, have a startup. And maybe the first two months, it was a bit rough. But then, you know, once we kind of got the ball rolling and and knew exactly what each one of us had to do to meet our must-haves, I think that was kind of, then it kind of started being a bit more stable. And also, I think the, the biggest challenge for us was to transition from a master's project into a business and for us individually to transition from you know us working on everything together to now taking ownership of specific parts of the company and the role that we have and establish our own connections and network of support to run those effectively i think that took almost like a half a year to a year it does take time but I think you kind of have to get your priorities straight. Like, you know, salary was one that we had kind of was a must-have, you know, kind of a stable salary to, for us to be able to live and work in London, for example. So we made yeah. that a priority for ourselves and found, you know, grants, found ways to kind of make, get money into the company to kind of fund us um, as we develop the project. Yeah. And I mean, it applies really much to you guys because, I'm sure you guys started off as friends and building a company together, obviously as a friendship and then turning into a partnership in work, there might be some overlaps, but also some differences there. And this higher collective is quite a small group. So do you think the smaller the group, it makes it easier for the project to go through because there's less people to talk to, or do you think having a larger group and more hands is better? Um, I think it's both ways. So I think that the co-founders need to be on the same page all the time, constantly. I think when the co-founders lose communication, that's when issues happen. You know, now today we're a team of eight. So there's eight of us, you know, three co-founders and kind of five employees and also a network of kind of 12 subcontractors to coordinate all that. The co-founders, we definitely need to be on the same page every day, every week. Um, and I think taking time now to kind of catch each other up is great. I think we definitely wear two hats. Like you said, you know, there's the friendship hat and then there's like the, you know, you need to get your work done, like kind of more like boss hat, let's say. Um, so I think it's definitely a balance of both. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're we're all on the same mission. All right. You know, I think some I read somewhere that, you know, the real CEO is the mission. And I think I kind of believe in that. Uh, you know, the, the real boss is the mission, you know, you are always striving for that. So as, as long as that's aligned and everyone is kind of on route to getting that and, you know, all the, any, let's say barriers or any kind of obstacles, we kind of manage that together and navigate through that and anticipate that and plan for those barriers. That's, that's the most important. Yeah. This is kind of a different topic we're transitioning to, uh, do you think we're transitioning into a new era of employment? What I mean is a lot of people still go to industry. A lot of people still work jobs with stable wages and then work through large companies. Do uh -huh. you think more people are going to go through startups and make their own blogs or YouTube channels per se and go through that route compared to the traditional route of starting a career? Yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely a lot more opportunities and a lot more ways to kind of put yourself out there today. A lot of people, I think, especially through COVID, kind of did a reevaluation of what their life is and kind of like what they wanted to actually pursue. During COVID, we've been getting a lot of emails from people who do work in, you know, large corporates and they're like, oh, actually, we really like your mission and, you know, we want to kind of work with you. And I think there, obviously, there are some sacrifices from moving to a corporate job 
to you know a startup but then there's also potentially a huge payoff afterwards you know there are some non-tangible things beyond salary that are also important so you know do you want to be working nine to five in an office or do you want to be working nine to five having your own creative direction on whatever you know the things that you plan and want to do to progress the mission I think that that is kind of a slight mind shift change and it's definitely a scary shift for a lot of people but everyone who I know that has done it find it so much more rewarding or so much more happier <laughs> oh yeah absolutely um this is the final question we asked this to all our guests but you basically answered this just now what is one piece of advice that you would give to students who are trying to go into sustainable entrepreneurship, say? I guess one piece of advice is, I think if you have an idea, definitely kind of talk to everyone about it because, you know, through conversations, you, you build your network and you build kind of people who will support you and not support you. And you develop that idea. I think there's definitely a lot of pressure to kind of, you know, graduate and find a job and then kind of you know climb the corporate ladder and I was very much so about that as well but I think that there's definitely an always an alternative route and one that could be more rewarding than what you had to think is you have to be doing yeah absolutely okay thank you Hanson for sharing all of your insights you can find more of their project well basically anywhere they're on all social media platforms <laughs> but um their website is the tirecollective.com that's the tirecollective.com if you're interested in engineering the engineering sector i started short reads which is all about the engineering and how it's all around us you can follow that project on instagram at short reads that's s-h-o-r-t-r-e-e-s this is a sata pod thank you for listening